Hey guys, this is Paige Bierman, and you are listening to the Redeemed Women Podcast. I'm really excited for you to listen to today's episode with Lauren Hansen. Lauren um, is married to Colin, and they have two young kiddos. And today she really just walks us through her life and what all the Lord has done in her life. Um, Particularly, she talks about body image, um, overcoming an eating disorder when she was in high school, um, and her decision to have plastic surgery and ultimately have a plastic surgery reversal surgery. Um, She then talks for a little bit about her struggle with infertility and having both of her children. Um, I just really feel like Lauren gives us a great picture at how the Lord was near and how the power of the gospel has been shown throughout her life. I was so encouraged listening to her and talking to her, and I hope that you guys feel the same way. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Lauren Hansen. Well, I'm so happy to have Lauren Hansen here today. Um, I just think the world of you and Colin and just your family in general and what y'all do for Redeemer. Um, But I'm especially excited for women at Redeemer to get to hear from you today. Um, I kind of feel like I could have thrown any topic at you and just been like, Lauren, let's just talk about this. But um, I'm excited because we're kind of just going to talk about you. Like we're going to talk about you, your story and what the Lord's done in your life. So I'm so excited to hear from you today. I'm excited to be with you. Thanks, Paige. Yeah. Um, So as we get started, um, can you just introduce us to yourself? Who are you? Tell us about your family. Um, Just anything we need to know about you. Okay. Yes. Who am I? Lauren Hanson. I am from Birmingham, from Mountain Brook. Graduated from Mountain Brook High School in 2000. And um, so just grew up in this wonderful community. Very happy to be back here. Um, left Birmingham for a while. Went to college in Chicago and Northwestern, which is where I met Colin through Campus Crusade for Christ Ministry. And stayed up in Chicago for eight more years working and then moved to the New York Metro for one and then moved back here in 2012. And uh, so while I was away and working, I was in um, mostly corporate communications, but also some marketing and PR stuff. So I'm a words person, which is why Colin and I fit together well. And uh, so we've been back here for eight years now. And now I am at home with our two kids, uh, boy Carter, who's five, and little girl Elise, who is two. That's awesome. We're happy to have you. So happy happy to be here. So you moved back to Birmingham in 2012. Did Mm -hmm. you guys find Redeemer like from the get-go, like what brought you How guys here? How did we find here? Redeemer? Yes. Uh-huh. So while we lived in Chicago, I was coming back to Birmingham to be in a wedding of a good friend um, growing up. And Colin was not in the wedding party, but hoping to make some use of the weekend when, of course, Southern weddings take a few days. So mm-hmm. we had a lot of free time. He was working on a book at the time called Young Restless Reformed, and he was trying to find somebody to interview. So he called over to Sanford and asked, is there anybody who would fit the profile for um for reaching young people and teaching reformed theology and they said how about joel brooks because he's in campus ministry here and he would be a great person to talk to so colin did an interview with joel um year years 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 ago you know that mid 2000s wow i think and we still have that interview which is pretty funny um 
And so Colin connected with Joel, and we got, I don't know if I got to meet Lauren at that point or not, or maybe it was just the connection through that time, but Lauren, as wonderful as she is, would send us postcards when we lived so sweet. away in Chicago. <laughs> yes, so sweet. And um, we had a desire to move back back for me Collins from South Dakota but back for me and um, we just kind of became pen pals and so whenever we came back to Birmingham um, to visit family we would go to church at Redeemer Um, my family was I did not grow up strongly affiliated with any church and so um, so we came to Redeemer so at least a few times a year we get to come we came first when Redeemer's at Girls Inc and then Cornerstone and so we've even when we haven't lived here we've been at Redeemer some through the ages um so yeah really I I think Joel and Colin's connection but especially Lauren's just she's mm-hmm. wonderful and hospitable mm-hmm. even when you live say, 700 that, miles away that hospitality <laughs> that hospitality yeah. of the Brookses um yes. I did not know that that's that's incredible yeah. um well I'm glad to have you and I mean both of you um just like I said y'all just do so much for this body and so I am excited for anyone to get to hear from you. Um, so I guess to begin, um, we're just going to talk about your story and how you came to faith in Christ. I mean, you mentioned that you weren't really affiliated uh, strongly with a church in Birmingham growing up. So how did you come to know mm-hmm. the Lord? Mm-hmm. I became a Christian right before I went to college. So it was... Um, spring of 2000 and a friend invited me to a bible study on the book of john led by a beeson divinity school student and at the time um, i had i'd been very successful um a kid who was raised in the culture and very much believed that through my efforts i could be perfect and i could gain approval and love and attention and all the things that i so deeply craved um I could do really well in school. I could do well in my my hobby, my extracurricular, which was dance, and and I could earn earn love. And part of that that lie and that perfectionism led to the spiral of feeling that I need to control my life um, and control everything about what I did and who I was to be this kind of a doll-like figure um, Mm -hmm. to gain approval, especially from my parents and boys and friends and teachers. I mean, just everybody around me. So that led to, in high school, um, an eating disorder where I I starved myself and enjoyed the affirmation that I got from turning from a healthy-looking teenage girl to a very sick teenage girl, but unfortunately so many of the images that we get are of of women and can be men too who are so underweight that that it's easy to mm-hmm. think that that's more normal than it is so um like everything I was very good at doing that <laughs> I was yeah. very good at starving myself yeah. and um <clears throat> And I thought that I I had no problem because I had it and everything under control. And I was really, really enjoying the affirmation and finding um, finding satisfaction and being what people expected of me uh, and didn't understand that there was a problem until, uh, oddly enough, uh, uh, 
Thanksgiving of my senior year of high school, I was left alone because my parents were out, my sister was out, and it was just uh, me versus the leftovers. And I was very self-controlled, as you could imagine. But at that moment, um, sweet potato casserole got the best of me. I ate some sweet potato casserole, and that was like, you know, a no-no in my oh, what in a my good southern code. Oh, it was so good. But of course, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. I didn't really eat anything. But then that sweet potatoes, and in my sickness I thought I have to get you know I have to I can't believe I did that and I have to I have to do something to make up for that so I need to exercise but I had um cold weather related asthma so I had to be inside because it was a chilly night and I put on lots of layers of clothing to try to sweat more and lose more weight and I was running around making laps inside my house growing up and I thought this is totally normal I put on yeah. TVs in different rooms and I was like this is this is great totally this is normal this is yeah. working out and as I was doing my mile laps, I looked over and my kitty cat had the big, you know, like saucer sized mm-hmm. kitty cat eyes, like, you are totally scaring me. And I realized I had a problem. Wow. Um, and that, that realization, God's kindness to use something like a cat to get yeah. through to me, coincided closely with then that friend inviting me to Bible study a few months later because I realized that I had an issue, but I did not know the source of the issue or the um, the solution to the issue mm-hmm. until that Bible study. Because I um, I did get into counseling and nutritionists and things like that, which were very good. Um, and they helped my body, but they would not have healed my whole person. Mm-hmm. What healed my whole person was for the first time reading a gospel and seeing that I had worth. I realized that the source of all of my perfectionism and discontent and wanting to be everything for all, all these other people to gain their love was that I thought that I had no value. And the message that God would love me so much that in my imperfections, which he kindly had shown to me through realizing that I had a problem with Mm -hmm. an eating disorder, through my imperfections, what I learned to be my sin, that he would love me and care for me and send Jesus to take my place, to pay my penalty for my sin with his perfection come into my imperfection and that he would die on the cross, pay that penalty, and then rise again to life to bring me with him to an eternity of bliss with God was a mind-blowing statement of my worth that I would be so worthy to God when I'm so unholy and he's so holy that he would do that for me and that he would know all the things about me that were not lovable and love me still changed everything so I became a Christian and the eating disorder went away immediately which is not always the case but in my case um once that root that root was pulled out and Christ was put in um I I just had no no need of that anymore and it and it went away and I quickly physically healed and um God provided good friends true friends kind friends yeah Northern friends at college who straight talked to me yeah. and made me give away clothes before I realized that, oh, those anorexic clothes wouldn't fit me anymore. Yeah. And people who were who were placed by him in my life to help me in that process. Wow. So. I mean, we can just stop right there. Like, done. You just, yeah. I mean, that blows me away. Um, I think um, for me, having mm-hmm. uh 
a testimony that's more like, well, when was the moment? The when, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a slower developing. I think it's because I'm more stubborn. Um, hearing your testimony just reminds me of the real power in mm-hmm. the gospel. Um, and certainly, like you said, not everyone who has um, unhealthy habits mm-hmm. or in your case, an eating disorder just magically, like in, in an instant, not magically through the yeah. power of the gospel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it just gone immediately? Yeah. Um, but it can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, that's just, it's so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. like I said, we could just stop right there, but we're not going to. Um, so you yeah. were saved, mm-hmm. um, senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. You go off to, college mm-hmm. um and I mean you're still a believer so I'm guessing things yeah. went relatively well you yeah. mentioned some good friends um and you did experience some physical healing yeah um from your eating disorder typically though things don't just go away immediately we still have some sin issues to deal with um maybe yeah. you know just a even a lack of maturity and Christ. Um, so what was college like for you? How did that transition go from high school? I just encountered Jesus to now I'm off on my own at college. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing that happened right after I became a Christian that I wish, um, I had been perfectly sanctified immediately, but you're right. That is not the truth of it is, um, playing out a process that had been in motion for four years, um, which is that I had plastic surgery, mm-hmm. cosmetic plastic surgery. So I have to give the caveat that, you know, not all plastic surgery is, um, is without purpose. Um, but I had fully bowed down to the idol before I was a Christian um, that that I could have what I wanted most, which was to be loved and seen as worthy through not only my efforts, but my appearance. And had been given some very strong messages um, by people closest to me, by um, by our culture at large, mm-hmm. really without the influence of the church, which is so countercultural in, in our bodies being of value in ways that as we look around that message is is a lie in so many ways I I fully believed the lie that for me to ever be wanted um, as a girlfriend as a future wife as all those things that I had and was told that I had a deficiency a problem that was solvable through surgery Mm -hmm. and and that was a painful process but the outcome of of a vision of the world and who we are that is devoid of God's word what the world had told me was that if I did not meet an image of what a beautiful woman is, then I will be lacking. I will be not seen as as good as other women. And we see those images in ways that 
women of past generations and past centuries wouldn't even have to deal with, that we are bombarded with what was photography that then turned into magazines, that then turned into Photoshopping, that then turned into social media, that turned into false images that seem real and Mm -hmm. we're tempted to all become marketers of ourselves as, as sexualized women and beings that, that as God created us before the fall was never meant to be that way. And we hear those old lies in the garden of, did God really say, and can't you be like God? Did God really say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Did God really knit you in your mother's womb? Everything about you, the things that you would consider the most imperfect, the things that a plastic surgeon might look at and say, hey, I can fix that problem for you. They're not problems. They're created by God. And what we hear about our bodies from God's word has always been in contrast to our fallen world around us um, and is particular, particularly in contrast now. Um, and so um, with, that, with that surgery, I became the poster vision of what a beautiful young woman would look like as mm-hmm. I was underweight and had plastic surgery and had everything fixed about mm-hmm. what could be fixed and I think as uh, maybe Joel has said or somebody wise maybe Tim Keller or somebody that sometimes the the worst thing is to get what you want mm-hmm. <laughs> when you are worshiping an idol and you get that final thing you realize that it's like you know, sand in the desert. It's not the oasis that you thought that it was. So having all that was deeply unfulfilling and realizing that um, there's never going to be, never going to be enough. Yeah. We can never be perfect enough. Maybe one of the most uh, obvious ways that we can't is that we are all aging and our bodies will die. And I personally think one of the saddest things is to see women who are not at peace with their own selves as they're made and try to chase after youth and beauty. I love seeing older women with wrinkles and and everything just open and at ease with themselves rather than a woman who's trying to to change herself in drastic ways to chase youth and vanity in, in ways that we can't find anymore. But anyway, so... Um, to your original question about <laughs> about sanctification and immediate sanctification, um, I wish that the things that had been put into process in my in my life before knowing Jesus mm-hmm. could have immediately just stopped and turned around, um, but they didn't. They would take time. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I think you know, body image and this idea of perfection. It it's such a lure. Um, like you said, it's it's everywhere. Um mm-hmm. you know, our phones, TVs, billboards, magazines, I mean, everywhere. Um and so, you know, you mentioned how that in a way played into um your just desire for that perfection or what what the uh, quote perfect 
woman would look like and how that was tied to your worth and um how like are there are there ways back then or even still now are there ways that you guard yourself against that or are there ways like maybe scriptures or like what Mm -hmm. kind of things did you do um to kind of retrain your mind in Mm -hmm. what is Mm -hmm. true of you um I don't know, like almost like holding yourself accountable to, to believing what is true about God and what he actually says about how you were created. Um, the first thing is we have to know truth, of course, that as we read his word, the entire narrative of scripture, we see the point of created beings and humans. Um, we see that we are, are made and are made good and, all the way to that we are, as Christians, we are redeemed and will be redeemed perfect. And God has a point to all of this, so our bodies have meaning beyond the um, the just look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we see all of Scripture, we can see the value that we have, of course. But go to, um, I love Psalm 139, love yeah. it, love it. Um, about being fearfully and wonderfully made, about being knitted together. It's such a comfort that God created all of us, especially those imperfections. Um, And also, we talked about what resources are out there, like books. We talked about one book. We wish that there were more great resources out there, but one book, um, Wanting to Be Heard by Michelle Graham. It's not a new book, but it's it's a good book. It's not a new book, but I'm telling you, it brings me back to early 2000s, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Her examples, just, it's nostalgic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you were around then, or if that were your heyday, it'll be a really good book for you. But it's solid. It's really solid to question some of our some of our assumptions um it's also good just to have perspective Mm -hmm. that uh somebody from out of town one of our friends came to visit redeemer and said oh you have a beautiful church and we're like yeah yeah it's beautiful no you have a beautiful people church Mm -hmm. and we're like oh so part of what really helped me was going to school in the north and living in the north where they where women go to football games and they wear a hoodie and no makeup maybe there's chapstick in your jeans pocket and and a dear friend who <laughs> my freshman year said I'm not waiting on you anymore to put on your makeup like yeah Wisconsin girls are awesome <laughs> at questioning the value of primping yeah. <laughs> um, and it really it really helped me challenge that wait, not everybody, even in our own country, does all the stuff that in Mountain Brook and Birmingham and Alabama and the Deep South that we all just did. And that's not a bad thing. I think that there is value absolutely in caring for your body, in exhibiting beauty um, Mm -hmm. as you are made, in loving clothes and patterns and things. Like, I so appreciate beauty. It's not a bad thing. But what is beauty for? Yeah. And, um that's a crux of it um and as we talk to each other as we talk to our children to teach truth in that area one of the biggest challenges for me as I had an eating disorder in high school was how affirming moms were um 
I specifically remember this was once I'd realized that I had an eating disorder, having one of the balls that we used to have, um, and being in the bathroom, probably primping, and um, knowing that I was, I was very under underweight, very underweight. I have weighed, I think, sixty pounds less than I weigh now. I'm very wow. underweight, and one of the moms um, said, "Oh, you know, you look fabulous. We all want to look like you. I wish that I still." And I, I was just in my mind, I was thinking, "This is, I'm sick. this is awful. Yeah. <laughs> I am sick. This is awful." <laughs> and um, how easy it is do that and Mm -hmm. as I'm now a mom and getting on toward 40 I can see that there is a temptation to want to chase after after youth and thinness and I just anyway I could go on about that but um (laughs) that's a podcast yes different different time time. Uh (laughs) but um we we would do well to chase truth, chase truth of God's word and protect it and ask him through prayer to give us the eyes of discernment to see what is true and what is false in this area. Um, Because as the serpent said in the garden, he's going to tell us, well, did God really, did God really? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a battle and it's a battle against lies that God wins. Um, He is victorious. Yeah. But, um, but we do well to remember that um, we are vulnerable, but we have the armor of God and we ask him for it. And um, yeah, yeah, that might be a good transition to what happened to me later in my life. But uh-huh. I don't know. Is that a good transition for you yeah, with I what think, I did later with the yeah, plastic surgery I think, issue? Um, I think one of the things you brought up regarding... Hmm. Our, our sweet little 2000s book mm-hmm. is um, basically that that temptation like you know if there's like this temptation or this pendulum that swings between like too much too little you mm-hmm. know and I think mm-hmm. people are women Christian women are mm-hmm. probably in that gray area of mm-hmm. like what's okay for me might not be okay for you and I mean we have this conversation about tons of topics it's not just beautiful beauty you know it's everything um Mm -hmm. what so many of us so want is for there to be a list of like okay you can do this you can't do that and and that's just not the way the cookie crumbles and um Mm -hmm. yeah I just you were just hitting on like that discernment and the thought Mm -hmm. and the daily Mm -hmm. um leaning in to mm-hmm. the Lord um, for his spirit to guide us in, in mm-hmm. those body image mm-hmm. things as women. Um, and I say as women, I, I'm sure it's mm-hmm. there for men yeah. in some form as well. I'm just not a man, so I can't speak to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm only speaking as a girl. But um, yeah, I do think, I, I think one thing before we hop into yeah. Our next little part is you are a mom now yeah. um, of a boy and a girl. Yeah. And how has your story, has it impacted how you maybe talk to your kids about food or their bodies or anything like that? Like how, 
I don't know. I, I guess you, I yeah. feel like you would have wisdom in this area and discernment on like this was helpful or this was not helpful. Yeah. Um, are there things that you really like kind of teach your kids or ways you talk about it? Yeah. Um, yes. As you were talking, it made me think of that discernment and what are we aiming for. And the primary question is, what is our purpose? Mm-hmm. Our purpose is to glorify God. We know that from his word um, and from John Piper. We know <laughs> our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So as we are making decisions about what to do with our bodies, what to eat, what to wear, um, what treatments to get, etc., we can prayerfully ask, God, I know my purpose is to glorify you. How can I do that with this decision in front of me Mm -hmm. Um, and that is something that I tell my kids your purpose is to glorify God well what's glorifying God to a five and a two-year-old your purpose your purpose is to remember who God is that he made you and he loves you and to show other people that by how you live Mm -hmm. and that lens of looking through things is a guide to how we make decisions so for example well, this is for the ladies I'm not talking to my kids anymore this is for the ladies this yeah. is for the ladies for example after having had two kids I have some vein issues in my legs I have some painful veins I have some veins that have like split and done some things that you know they just weren't supposed to do never would have happened <laughs> before <laughs> two in particular so I got a referral to go see a vein doctor and I am anticipating because I saw one other one but that didn't quite do what we need to do. I am anticipating that as a vein doctor is probably likely to do, will recommend like, okay, yes, you have those two medical, I know that they're medical issues. They hurt mm-hmm. and they've split and they're red and stuff. <laughs> you really wanted to hear about yeah. that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We did. Um, We're all women here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've been there. Um, I anticipate that he's also going to do an analysis of all of my leg veins and a recommendation that these two medical problems could also be paired with these cosmetic problems. And whoop, just like that, you're in here. You don't have to come back. We'll just fix all this right up. And you're going to have those legs you wanted, the pre-baby legs. And you'll wear your shorts in confidence (laughs) and be out there in the world like, look at me in my short shorts. So the question will be, God, I want to glorify you in all of my decision-making, God, how do I glorify you in this decision? And I've already been asking myself that. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm sensing with this this and that question, and that is an answer between each lady and God. And this is the Lauren Hanson. Yeah, this this is where I've gone with it. I'm not saying that, what I'm saying is descriptive, an example, not prescriptive. Right. You need to do this because I said so. Um, (laughs) That through prayer and asking myself that question, I feel I, I know that I need to do the medical things, um, and I am, Lord willing, going to stay strong and not do the cosmetic things um, in part because I think that it would serve my own vanity, and also because I want to go around with other women who haven't had or don't have the opportunity to maybe have vein work on their legs and say, like, we can walk around and do this, mm-hmm. you know? Together. Like, who knows? Down the road, maybe some more vein issues will develop, and I'll have to have some procedure for my own good well-being. But for right now, and I can look around down there and be like, yep, Pink's going to say that he can take care of that one. And, like, I am, Lord willing, just going to try to let it go because I think that it would just serve my vanity. And if I can't walk around – 
with some leg issues and confidence, like vein issues and confidence of how God made me, then I have a heart issue to deal with, not mm-hmm. a physical issue to deal with. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my own vein vanity issues. <laughs> V-A-I-N or V-E-I-N? <laughs> Which veins? Not Baby the veins? ones that carry blood. <laughs> Not those. Um, okay, so we have now entered into a surgical realm. Um, uh-huh. You, so you had some plastic surgery. You uh-huh. went to college. Really, I mean, got into a good college ministry. Sounds like good uh-huh. friends. Uh-huh. You're really like, this was real. This uh-huh. was a real change and uh-huh. a real relationship with God. And you made the decision to go back mm-hmm. um how will you just kind of walk us through like that decision like mm-hmm. how was what were people's responses um yeah, yeah that's an interesting take yeah yeah when I'd had the cosmetic plastic surgery I told myself that I would never tell anyone I was moving to a whole different part of the country, a whole new group of people, um, and no one would know my secret. But I became part of a loving community, particularly of Christians, and the shame started wanting out. Mm. And the first person I told was my boyfriend, Colin Hansen. Uh, who, <laughs> who I fully expected to hear, fully expected to hear, oh, good, that's already taken care of. I would have wanted you to look better in that way anyway. Mm. So great, done. I told him, and he hugged me and cried and said, I am so sorry that happened to you. Mm. And I knew that I was going to marry that man. Yeah, you were like, yep. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then also told, after that, told a couple of good friends, because I had so much shame. Yeah. And to hear the affirming statements of, you are loved and you are worthy, and you did not need that to make us love you or like you or be your boyfriend or be your friend, uh, was a balm to my soul. And as I learned more, when I... When I went to college, I'd only read the book of John. My freshman year, I read the New Testament, and then by the end of college, read the whole Bible because um, I wanted to know God and to yeah. know his design for life and his will for me. And how we know that is by reading his letter to us, which is the Bible. Um, and so I could see more and more that that decision that I had made was not a reflection of what I believe, was not a reflection of who I am and with what I had had done, it was reversible. And so over some years, kindly, gently, I could hear God guiding me to have my procedure reversed. Mm-hmm. And it was daunting. Um, I had a friend make the appointment for me because I told her, I, th- I think I can do it. Just can you make the initial yeah. call? Can you just get it on the calendar? And Break I will get myself there. Yeah. yeah um, and that was a kindness. So many kindnesses along the way. You have excellent friends. <laughs> Spinoff yeah. episode, like yeah. friendship. Yeah, like. and some of them are Christians and some of them aren't. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's even just, yeah, yeah, amen. Yes, thank you, God. I need to remember that more. Um, 
So went to this uh, plastic surgeon in Chicago, a Mm well-known, I lived there at the time, a well-known surgeon in Chicago, who told me no one has ever wanted to do this before, ever. Like, that has to be a flat-out lie. It has to be. Do you think? I don't know. Maybe, Maybe not. You would... I love that that's your response. Yeah. Because that is the hopeful response. Maybe not. That is what I would like to think, too. I don't think it was simply because of what they walked me through. Yeah. Okay. Um, also because once you actually take the step to do certain cosmetic procedures, whatever they may be, reversing them or even not continuing the treatment mm-hmm. that would make you look good in some cases good you know good yeah. as you were hoping to look good in some cases is is a an actual step toward being less beautiful in the cultural sense of right. the word like right. you're actually going to take a hit for it you know yeah. and so it's kind of like stepping over that precipice mm-hmm. um so you said nobody has ever ever done this before why and he and the nurse were in the room and I said well I'm a Christian now and I don't need this and I believe that I'm beautiful as God made me and I don't want to have something about my body that does not accurately reflect that truth Mm -hmm. I believe he said okay and they walked out of the room. I don't know if they typed this sheet up or if this is some sort of disclaimer you can get off the internet or what. But it was bogus. It was like lies just coming right at me. But almost in such an obvious caricatured sort of way mm-hmm. where I was like, okay, yeah. You, so brought but me a paper. confirmed my decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Had, I, had me sit down at a little desk in the um, the doctor's office and – checked the boxes of if I have this this procedure which was removal Mm -hmm. reversal um that if you have this procedure that I will not sue this doctor's office if I become depressed if I do myself physical harm if um my marriage or whatever relationship you know marriage or um you know dating or whatever it might be falls apart it was just a liability waiver for things that were, so you're going to do this. And when all these things fall apart, this is how the deck of you're cards signing crumbles. us, yeah. signing on not to sue us. Wow. I mean, and that is, that's an image of literally like our cultural beauty and our, the, the way that we look being tied to, and I'm sure for some people maybe it is like Mm -hmm. I I mean that's just such a direct link to like oh so if you don't have this you're going to be depressed or you can't get married or Mm -hmm. you're going to get a divorce Mm -hmm. or you'll do yourself physical harm including possibly killing yourself that's wow yeah so and this wow yeah so yeah I've heard Tim Keller's definition of idolatry it's whatever you would lose that would make life feel not worth living so that I mean, could fall in that waiver category. That like category. if I lose my idea of physical beauty, I'll feel like life shouldn't go on for worth. me. Yeah. Bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah. But like Satan lied n- not in discreet ways that time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it did make it easier. It's like, okay, Satan, I'll sign your paper. Yeah. Um, so went through the process and had the reversal um, 
which was painful and scary and no guarantee that my body would return to what it had been Mm -hmm. before I had had the procedure. Um, No guarantee that I would heal well or be able to do some of the things that I would have had I not had surgery in the first place. But God, (laughs) but God, um, in his kindness worked toward healing. Um, I had to go for a follow-up appointment with the doctor to make sure that I was, Mm -hmm. I was healing okay. And, um, he uncovered me and gasped and said, I promise. No, he said, I, he said, you will be back to fix this. And I said, I promise you, I will not. Yeah. And I gathered myself up and went to the car. A friend was in the car. A friend brought me and I just bawled. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, she was like ready to fight that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <clears throat> Bedside manner. Yeah. Well, and I never went. I was supposed to go back for another follow up appointment yeah. to make sure I wasn't getting an infection or something. And I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's. That's enough. Um, and a different friend told me, you know, for a while you're healing, just like don't don't look. Just like let the healing happen. Give it three months, and in three months, you know, don't don't really look at it. Um, and uh, and God was very kind to heal me as much as I could ever expect to have been physically yeah. healed, um, which I think was just his his kindness through the step of faith that, you know, and a good reminder that at times when we can take painful steps in obedience to God, that he's not against us, you know, he's yes. for us, he's for our healing, and he loves loves it when we honor him by believing truth and mm-hmm. walking in it. Um, so plastic surgery, that is a short, somewhat vague <laughs> description. Yeah. I am happy to, in conversations, go into more detail. And even at the Redeemer Women's Retreat a while back, I um, spoke in more detail. As this is a recording, and recordings have legs. Yes. Um, I'm not going into as much detail as I would in person. But if anybody out there listening wants to hear more or talk more, I can listen. I'm happy to. Yeah. So. Thank you. Um Um, So to kind of catch us up where we've been, um, became a believer senior year of high school, still, you know, made the decision to have plastic surgery, go to college, have it reversed. Somewhere in there, um, you get married after Mm -hmm. this, you get married to Colin? Um. Colin and I got married in 2003 after we graduated from college. I had my surgery reversal in 2009. Nine. Okay. Yeah. So it's nine years after the The initial. Yeah. So this is the part where we move to, you're a married gal. Um, And spoiler alert, you have two kids. So tell us about that. So you got married 2003. Um when 
first, just what's it like being married to sweet old Colin Hansen? <laughs> like, I'm just imagining your house has many books. Oh, so many books. So many books. <laughs> so many books. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what's married life like um, yeah. for you guys? Yeah. Um, so some people out there are probably like, okay, she's married to a guy named Colin. So who is Colin Hansen? Colin is um, the editorial director for the Gospel Coalition which is a ministry that yeah. equips pastors and lay people um, to know the word and live out their faith in daily life. So they have conferences and a website. And Colin oversees all of the content. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the articles, all the podcasts, all the videos, all the content. Yes. Content for conferences, too. So um, he's very enriched with just words. All yes. the words. Yes. Yes. Um, we are words people. Yeah. Y'all are words people. Yeah. And he's an elder here at Virginia yes. Community Church. Yeah, he's an elder. Yes, um, we're home group leaders. Yeah. Um, and I serve in a, as a deacon in women's ministry. Yeah, I think yeah. that's it. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. So <clears throat> Colin is being married to Colin sort of like being married to a podcast because <laughs> he does he has podcasts he has a podcast. which are great yeah. they really are um but I'm always learning and it's uh he's brilliant and so much of my personal faith and maturity in Christ is through him and I'm very thankful for that he's um he he's just God's given him uncommon intellect and abilities to synthesize Christianity mm-hmm. and the culture and implications and uh, mm-hmm. just he's a thinker who's kind of a step ahead in some ways and yeah. so God gave him talents and talents to use and I'm thankful that he's in a position to do that it is um it is challenging to be married to somebody who's somewhat of a public figure in a very small sphere. In, a, in, like, the, in the Christian. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in like. In the reformed Christian church. Right. It's a small yeah. piece of the American pie. But um, but within that slice, like when we go to Gospel Coalition conferences and he really needs a handler, it's kind of odd. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> But with that and with all of the you know, negativity on the internet and everything, it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to see. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I guess it's the cost of discipleship, which it is absolutely worth the cost. But all of the, you know, criticism and negative attacks right. and all those things, it's hard as a wife. Um, and you know, there's a family member for anyone of us and anyone listening who has a family member in that kind of position where Mm -hmm. you're public and you're taking lots of hits like it's it's hard it it requires um requires a lot of turning to Jesus (laughs) but uh uh, yeah he's funny I love his laugh he has a great laugh (laughs) so yeah and he's a wonderful father he's so sweet I think you know one of the things that Josh, my husband, and I talk about when we talk mm-hmm. about you and Colin, which makes it sound like we talk about y'all all the time. We don't talk <laughs> yeah. about y'all all the what time. What do you say? Like, you know, just every night at dinner. I wonder what they're doing Colin now. <laughs> you know, one of the things, though, um, that I think is remarkable about the two of you being in the leadership positions that you are is that, yeah, you're thinkers. Um, 
there's a reason that you're in the leadership positions that you are. Um, um, and it's your, your character and your intellect, um, but also your humility, um, which, you know, what is it like, how do you give a compliment on humility? It's kind of like the opposite <laughs> of humility, but. Thank you. I'm you so know, humble. <laughs> there's just, you know, it's like oh, many people who have a lot of the same giftings love to shout it from the rooftops mm-hmm. and I don't think that that's the case um, for you guys, or at least I haven't seen it. Um, well, so I, I do just so appreciate that about you too. Um, but like all marriages and all relationships, mm-hmm. it has come with some hardship and mm-hmm. some tough seasons. Yeah. You know, you got married in 2003, you said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm sure some tough things have happened. Yes. Um, so yeah. for you guys... It was quite difficult to get mm-hmm. pregnant. Is that mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. So how, like, what did that story look like? What did that journey look like Yeah, for y'all? Yeah. Um, so we got married pretty young. Um, I graduated in three years. Colin's a year older than I am. So we were 22 and 21. And um, when you get married young, you just sort of grow up together. So you're yeah. right. There, There's a lot of hardship of bringing two people together and then having them be kind of young and immature and just you grow up together and so um so yes we've as far as humility to touch on that for a moment is um God has given us trials and some thorns in the flesh and things that um that bring that humility because we are very finite in ourselves and so um Colin actually used to pray for suffering Mm. um and when some real suffering started, he told me that he praying for suffering. I was like, what yeah. are you doing? Why? <laughs> Why are you doing it's that? Like praying for patience. Yes. Like everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he saw it in scripture and saw the promises that um, trials produce um, patience and, wait, what is it? Perseverance. Perseverance. And yeah, and character and hope and hope mm-hmm. does not disappoint us. And he wanted that, and he could see, you know, the suffering of Jesus and the suffering of his people and that, um, you know, Paul with the thorn and God's strength and weakness. And and though many times I'm the type who would just love to curl up in a cozy little nook of life and just let, you know, let the breeze blow softly and the sun always shine, um, don't we all? Those, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Except that, maybe Colin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's very intentional. Um, that those things do work out a humility mm-hmm. of knowing God's mercy and knowing God's grace. Um, so, uh, but children, I, as we lived away in Chicago and New York, I was working the whole time and moved back um, to Birmingham, back for me in 2012, and just assumed that we would have kids because, you know, that's, back. Yeah, yeah, and I was 30, and it was time, and so I did not look for jobs because I thought, you know, the type of position that I'd had before would, would you know, require a company's investment in me. And so mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to take a position and then just with the hope to be leaving in nine or so months. Right. So so I was I was doing a little bit of remote work for my old company and freelancing, but nothing big. So I was basically unemployed, living in Crestline, which is, you know, baby mm-hmm. capital of the world, and, um, and finding month after month 
nothing. Um, It really challenged my identity at first feeling very uncomfortable that especially moving into a new community and a new city and um and being all the time at church you know that inevitable mm-hmm. what do you do and at first feeling awkward and joking like oh I'm retired I'm, yeah. you know, <laughs> just you know retired and have love and life um that after a few months of working through in prayer God what is my what is my purpose what is my identity what do you want me to do what is all this for um then he challenged me to answer that question with I'm waiting on the Lord and that opened a lot of conversations some people awkward we were like okay Okay. (laughs) yeah let's move on (laughs) but but some really good things I could say I'm waiting on the Lord that I'm um I would love to be a mom but that's not as well for me now so I'm just seeking every day what he wants me to do and I had the freedom which at the time felt kind of like a burden mm-hmm. but bigger perspective it was the freedom and beauty to wake up every day and say God what do you want me to do and that often was like taking somebody to the doctor who didn't have a ride or helping my neighbor who lived by herself or learning how to paint or cook or things that I just had to, you know, ask ask God what he wanted for me, and he gave me that in every day. I was the best home group leader I've ever been yeah. because yeah. I, could, I could check in and, like, you know, be more be more engaged than, than I can with two little ones. But And um, I'm thinking, though, like, you're asking God, like, who am I? What's my identity? And he's, like, giving it to you. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you're a servant. Like, yeah. you're – you're going to serve your neighbors and your yeah. home group members. And yeah, that's all. Here's your answer. That's all yeah. I did. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, our, our total journey that time with infertility was two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so after a year, we started going to a fertility specialist and seeking answers. And there were never anybody, never any answers. Nobody ever knew why. And um, so in May of 2014 I got a phone call from Mm -hmm. my friend that I used to work with that my mentor like grandfather in the faith who was my boss when I worked in the New York area um, had suddenly passed away and he was such a man of character who in the secular workplace could not speak openly about Jesus, but um, made the company's core values and what he did as the head of human resources all about, and he would tell me privately, you know, this is all about Jesus. Yeah. And um, he he was just a real grandfather figure, loving figure to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thankful that there weren't any, you know, words left unsaid and that I had peace knowing that he was with the Lord. But I had a curiosity. What is the last thing we said to each other? Because by that time he had retired and I was in Birmingham and um, we emailed and I found his last email. So this was in May. His last email was in March. And he said, I am continuing to pray for you that you would have a child. And the Holy Spirit prompted me to say that you will you will find out you'll have a child in mid-May. Wow. Okay. And at the time that I'd read that email in March, I didn't even remember this. Because Did you, like, get chills reading it? Like, what What was the reaction to that? Um, well, so, so I got on the phone call, and I read this email. 
and I didn't remember the email because when you've gone through infertility for two plus years, you hear a lot of things and a lot of well-intentioned people make claims that they cannot back up, you know, oh, it'll be okay. You'll have kids. Well, maybe not, you know? And so I just thought he's praying for me. That's Mm -hmm. great. I need prayers. Thank you. Um, but I realized that month in May, we'd had no treatment because shots kind of do a month on and a month off Mm -hmm. so that your month off your body can cool down. Um, so I'd not been paying attention to what was happening that month. And when I read the email, I realized, oh, yeah, I think that this should be the next cycle by now. And so I took a pregnancy test and it was positive, Good which gracious. was just, yeah. you know, we know that God does miracles. We read about them whenever we pick up our Bible. But to actually see one and see God's extravagant love that he would show me so clearly because we can say yes every life is a miracle every child is a miracle we know it to be true but it seems kind of trite you know but to actually have this wonderful grandfather in the faith write me two months before he died to say the holy spirit prompted me to tell you you'd find out that you're pregnant in mid-may the faith that he had to pray and hear that from the holy spirit and say it to somebody that he knew that if it didn't happen that that would hurt yeah the faith and for God to be moving and showing me that he was moving showing everybody who's heard the story that he's moving before so at that point he had not actually created the life yet Mm -hmm. and just that truth worked out in personal experience that he is God and I am not and he is sovereign and kind and good um it's mind-blowing. But still, you know, yeah. us of little faith, I have these moments where I'm like, that really oh, my car has yeah. a problem. Is God going to take care of me? And then it's like, yeah. oh, you, you know, yeah. you dog going after your vomit. Why are, <laughs> why are you worried about that? Look at all the things that he's done. But, um, yeah, such amazing, amazing miracles. Um, yeah, that story's actually published on the Gospel Coalition. Um so if you want to read more details, Man. you can you can Google it. It's amazing. Um, I don't know if this podcast has show notes, but if we do, that'll <laughs> totally go in the show notes. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Man, um, so you take that pregnancy test. Like, what was your reaction? Like, do you just, like, hit the floor? Like, I think I would have just hit the floor. Um, <laughs> well, I'd never seen a test look like it. So I yeah. so I wasn't like sure. Googling, like is yeah. This well, and it's positive? one of those things where it wasn't like the digital ones yeah. now that can say like yeah. pregnant on it. It had you know the faint like you get a positive yeah. sign or negative. I'm like it kind of looks a little bit positive. So I sent it to a friend who I used to work with who has five kids, and I was like, is this positive? Like, she knows. <laughs> and she wrote back and she said that's positive. And so I went, I ran. Um, I ran in the house to find Colin and I said, look at this. And he was like, she's pregnant again. It's <laughs> like, no, that's me. That's me. And so it's just, it's just dumbfounding. Yeah. Really. Um, would you say that you had given up hope? Did you think that um, children would happen? Yeah. It was getting close to, so we knew how far we were going to take medical treatment mm-hmm. and we knew that we were getting close to the end of mm-hmm. medical treatment and that at that point we would have to decide whether God's 
will for us in our lives was to serve him without children or if we were going to seek adoption or what we were going to do mm-hmm. we'd this is probably just based on my personality um <laughs> I'm like the roots and calms the wings and so I'm yeah. very grounded in the like here and now so we hadn't gotten to that conversation mm-hmm. yet but it was coming probably like yeah. a month later so hadn't given up hope even in in treatment and what might happen but I was so geared toward and always even raised to achieve professionally that I did not know how much I would love being a mom and now being able to spend my days serving and with my kids um, until after I had them. Mm -hmm. So really the pain of infertility did not hit as strongly until it came as secondary infertility. Okay, that was my next question. Because I like, didn't, yeah, I didn't know what to... I was missing. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. until life for me really changed with my first child, I had not experienced that love of a baby who I'd, you mm-hmm. know, carried and nurtured and everything. So not knowing what I was missing made it a little less painful the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was also more realistic, the sort of, life that I could return to that if it didn't all work out well then you know maybe I just focus on a career maybe I just do something else um so since our fertility problem had never been medically solved the first go around there was no clear path or solution um but after a year of unsuccessfully trying for a second child went back to treatment Mm -hmm. and um our doctor just said well this is unexplainable, but I guess we'll just do what we did last time yeah. because you do have a baby it's, from it. Yeah, there was a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, again, went through treatment, but miraculously became pregnant on a month where we hadn't had any. So, we've been married 17 years mm-hmm. with, you know, two pregnancies out of that. So, it's mystery and miracle and there's not a medical explanation though medicine can help and it's wonderful for for families that that is a clear solution and it all works we don't know what we don't know (laughs) we don't know how all the pieces come together but um but yeah in the waiting there were so many lessons of um identity like I touched Mm -hmm. on and Waiting on the Lord is really refining um, when we give him our desires and see them not met and are challenged to remember that he wants our good and the good that he has for us is specific to us and that we should not be tempted to look around at the goodness he's given somebody else and think that it's our own. Mm -hmm. Um, That though it might be painful because of God, we can go to baby showers when we're hoping for a child that we don't have. You know, we can go to engagement parties when we're still single. We can do those things, not because it's easy, but because we can cling to the truth that God's specific plan for us is his best for us. Mm -hmm. He's not holding out on us, Mm -hmm. which is what Eve believed, that God was holding Holding out, out, that she could be like God, but he just didn't want that. He was keeping her down. Right. Um, so it was refining to 
press into that truth and hold with an open hand whatever he wanted my future Mm -hmm. to be um yeah and even now even now to not know like if they're so I'm 30 I'm coming up on 39 so this uh (laughs) this window of of having children is coming going to close sooner than later but even the questions of like you know Lord do you have more do we pursue more do we not do we you know all those questions Mm -hmm. have to be very open-handed of of what Mary said when she found out she was pregnant with Jesus Lord I am your servant may it be to me as you've said like God I'm your servant what do you have yeah yeah I um uh a little different from you, I too with um, having our first child went not not two and a half years, but we went quite some time and um, similar to you when I'd kind of just gone like it was a very sanctifying season of my life mm-hmm. uh, the the journey to pregnancy mm-hmm. and. Um, I love that you just quoted Magnificat because mm-hmm. when I found out I was pregnant with John, it's quite hysterical all of the ways that I actually found out I was pregnant. I didn't think I was, mm-hmm. found out I was. It was just kind of a conundrum. But um uh-huh. yeah, there's a whole story yeah, there. And it we was kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I was by myself at my like godmother's mm-hmm. condo mm-hmm. <laughs> and randomly took a test because I was like I just feel weird and it was positive and Mm. I literally hit my knees Mm. and was just like thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you God Mm. and the next morning still just kind of heart overflowing pulled out my Bible and read the Magnificat and just took it and 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 prayed it um to God so I, I yeah. Like tugs on my heartstrings that you put that. But um, what, as a final question, what would you say to the couple who is walking that journey now? The couple yeah. who is longing to have children and it's an unmet desire mm-hmm. right now. What would you say to them? Mm. I would say that God loves you and God sees you. God is with you. That this morning, my two-year-old said, "Where is Jesus right now?" <laughs> like right Jesus the is with you. I said that, but I also said because Colin once pointed out, "Well, he's also right with us all yeah, the time." I was like, "Oh, right, yeah." Jesus isn't in just one place, right? Yeah, yeah I know. So that Jesus is right alongside you, that He's battling mm-hmm. with you for you, and um, and He's also <laughs> the right hand of the Father interceding for you praying for you the holy spirit is in you groaning with words that you can't express and god is lavishly loving you and blessing you and providing for you that that as we wait and are disappointed it's all the more an opportunity to seek god's face and his word and to cling to his promises and goodness that we are under his authority and his authority is good. And there are things that we can think that we are owed that he does not promise us. Mm-hmm. And um, 
the most comforting words I received going through infertility was from Lauren Brooks. When I'd heard from a lot of well-intended people, especially non-Christians, like, oh, it'll just happen. Or stop worrying. That's why it's not happening. Just when stop, you stop trying. Yeah, just yeah. Stop. it'll happen. Lauren Brooks one day said to me, you may never have a child and God is good. Mm. And I was like, I just, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear mm-hmm. that his will for me may not be my desire for me. And he is good. And in that place of mourning with hope, we can cling, we can cling to our Savior who, who's, as Joel said in a sermon recently, he's, he's, he's our Savior of the day-to-day. He's providing for us in, in every way, in every moment. So, so mourn it. Know that it is a loss. It's a daily loss. It's a loss of hope and dreams and that might be fulfilled and maybe not. And maybe God has an entirely different path than we anticipated. But his path is better than what we anticipate. And... Um, my advice personally would just be to consider sharing that struggle mm. with people. Um, prayerfully consider that and who it might be. It doesn't have to be shouted from the rooftops, but um, but it was a real encouragement to us to have people praying for us or to have our home group. You know, we were friends, and I mean, we were pretty – open I'm pretty open about most things so I'll just share it because I hope that it might help somebody really Um, if it can help someone or if it can have someone pray for me like yeah yeah right yeah because I I got to have women in 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 our church body come and say you know I'm I'm going through that too and nobody knows and I don't know what to do and I was just like you know I'm so glad that she would share it with me because it's it's filled with tears. I mean, it's every month a sorrow. Every month yes. is is a loss. Every month and just the the counting and the wondering what's happening in your body and the the blob in your belly that turns out to be gas. <laughs> like, is that a baby? You know, it just all of it. It's it's, it's so this many weird pains. Thing where you actually feel like you have a little bit of control over it because mm-hmm. there is all the counting. Yeah. There is, and and it's, it's this false sense of control, yeah. of thinking like I can impact this, yeah. Um, and yeah, coming to the realization that only God gives life, yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough, but yeah, and going through it medically and seeing that. Um, oh no, that's amazing. It, well, that's and really it, well, and just seeing that, as our doctor said. Um, plug for Alabama fertility specialists we love them (laughs) our doctor said I hope that one day there's an invention of a camera inside that can show that moment of conception and why there's no conception because he said we can create the entirely perfect environment through science entirely perfect Mm -hmm. but we can't make that conception happen he said I wish I had a camera to see it wow yeah only God does that. Remember Mark Cribbs said um, when we had Carter and he was young and he was teaching us how to swaddle because we were yeah. going crazy. He said he told his children it's like creating a life. It's like having all of the parts, parts enough to fill a trailer behind a truck, like parts totally dissembled, filling a trailer. Mm-hmm. And it all comes together perfectly to make that car. Yeah. 
Like, how? Yeah, I mean, how how can you not believe in God? Yeah. That's just mind blowing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know that we could end on a better place in a better place. Um, I thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. so vulnerably um, some of the toughest yet sweetest parts of your story. Um, yeah. I'm certainly better for it, and mm-hmm. I think. A lot of other gals might be too. Um, But thank you so much. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I think um, we're just thankful for you and Colin at Redeemer and your two Mm. precious kiddos. Oh, we are thankful for Redeemer. You love this church. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.